get there because I'm going to give you some things here that I, I really want to leave you with today that it will impact your life and all others that are connected to you. You have the power today to go outside of this building and to affect, effect, to effect, to effect, to cause change in your home, in your community, on your job, in your church. You have the ability to cause folk to live a better life. Amen. Why wouldn't we want to, as people of God, to, why wouldn't we want to help folk change their lives? Why wouldn't we want to just change our own life? Sometimes we can get stuck to where we just okay with living and existing the way that we've been doing for the last 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years of our life. Well, I'm urging you today, I'm provoking you to not sit here today in judgment and think that the pastor is only speaking to someone else. I'm speaking to every one of us, including myself. When I preach, I'm preaching to Pastor Mike first and foremost. Because Pastor Mike has things in his life that he wants to better. I want my home to be better. I want my children to be better. I want my church family to be better. I want folk all around me, friends, foes. I want my enemy to be better. I want my enemy to feel some condemnation, to feel some conviction that they say, I have to change. Amen. A lot of times we only want to do for those that we feel like are our friends. Amen. But you need to start looking at your enemy. Amen. And something about your life should cause folk around you, near you, that know about your name, that know about who you profess to be, should cause some people to say, man, you know what? I might not like that sister or brother. There's something about that sister or brother that I can't put my finger on it. There's something about that. You ever been dealing with your, well, not dealing, but been, yeah, been around someone that you really don't know? I have this experience at times. And it's a part of you that you don't have any idea who they really are, but it's something about them that you just find that you kind of don't like. And you, your spirits don't connect. And you're just kind of looking at this person. I had a person like that this weekend that I had no idea who this gentleman was. But it was something about him I just didn't like. And the Lord began to work on me. On the golf course. And he began to truly impart his word in my spirit, in my soul. Why is it that we tend to hold people accountable and you really don't know what their background is? You don't know that that young man or young woman, whoever you're dealing with, you don't know that whether they had the same lifestyle as you. You don't know that maybe they didn't have two parents in the house. Maybe they had two parents in the house, but they didn't have a relationship with their parents. Maybe you're, you're holding people accountable, and just maybe they weren't afforded the opportunities that some of us have had. 
Some of us had a nurturing mother, a, a, a good father. Some of us had uh, someone in the house that was a provider that we could see that, oh, this is what you do when you grow up and you pay bills and you get a home and, and, and you take care of your family, you take care of your wife, you take care of your church. Ah, glory be to God, you take care of your church. See, some folk weren't raised to know that you should give a tithe and an offering to the church. Some folk weren't raised to know that it's, out, it's, it's so much more bigger than just your tithing and offering, but it's about how do you take care of your church mentally, physically, spiritually. Do you, when you're out here in the street, taking care of your church is making sure that you don't get caught up in some dumb stuff to make your church name look bad. You see, every one of us have not been exposed to the same things. So it's called, you've got to have some compassion, church. Compassion for folk around you that don't look like you, that don't act like you. And, and sometimes the spirit just don't connect. And let me tell you what God did to me. Just in the moment of being out there on a golf course, before that round was over, me and that young man were shaking hands, dapping each other up, and just having conversation. And it was like something about him in the beginning just rubbed me wrong, and I couldn't put my finger on it. And what I gave I began to say, sometimes this is how Satan works. He works, he don't want folk to connect because he don't want them to hear the word of God that's inside of you. So what he'll do to this mess with your mind thinking, well, we don't really connect. We don't really agree because, you know, and you won't give that person a word or give that person that what needs, what's inside of you that needs to come out that fruit. You keep that fruit to yourself. And there is a message that's going to be coming forth. And I'm going to stay, I'm going to be digging in the book of Psalms for a while. The Lord empowered me this weekend, this past week here with, I'm going to teach on Psalms, the division of Psalms. And I'm going to teach about the gifts that some of you have. And you listen to me when I say this. Whatever the gift is, helping folk, singing, clean, Whatever the gift is, if you're not careful and you keep the gift inside, that gift becomes idolatry. The gift becomes your idol. Because you're not using, you're not exercising what God has given you, and now you're keeping it all to yourself. And to take somebody home there, I can give you keys out my pocket to my house. Or to a house. How about that? To a house in the city. But if I don't give you the address, you just have a set of keys. <laughs> I give you the deed, and you own the house, but you don't have the address. You just have a house. Keys. But you can never use it. So why have a gift? And you're not using it. Everybody don't have the gift to minister. Everybody don't have the gift to be a videographer. Everybody don't have the gift to be a deacon, deaconess. Everybody don't have the gift to sing. Everybody don't have the gift to do what somebody else does. But you have something inside of you that God has said, I want you to bless the world. And I want you to start in your home first. I want you to bless those in your home because if you can bless folk in your presence, in spite of how mean sometimes blood folk treat each other, in spite of how mean sometimes blood folk fight each other, 
in spite of sometimes how blood folk, I'm talking about people that's related by blood, we can treat each other the worst because we are familiar with each other. Oh, you're going to take it, you really can't go nowhere. You're coming back. Oh, it's all good. That's what family do. This is how messed up society has come to be. That's normal for siblings to fight. It's normal for folk to say their families to argue and fuss and just not really want to, listen, want to be around each other. Society has made us believe that's normal. Well, that's a trick of the enemy. And the one thing I'm going to move you into a whole different direction today, listen to what I want you to understand about true worship. True worship moves from your lips to your lifestyle. It's time out for you to say, well, I worship God today. I sung, I sang, I, I gave him praise. I worship him in the, in, the, in, the, in the church. But God is saying, and I'm going to give you some examples of David and, and, and whomever else God impressed upon my heart, Paul and different ones, that you've got to understand it's time to move from your lips to your actions. It's time for you to recognize that it's not okay to just sing and praise God. But your lifestyle, listen to the word lifestyle, the way that you live should express God in your life at all times. Amen. You should confront your enemy and your lifestyle should speak to the enemy that, oh, I might not like what he or she said, but man, there's some God in there. Our lifestyle must change from it's just merely in our mouth, but not in our actions. Here in Romans 12, 1, it said, offer. Who knows what offer? When somebody make you an offer, they are presenting something to you, saying, will you take this offer? So the Bible here in 12, 1 says, offer what? Our bodies a living sacrifice. I want to stay there for just a second. In the Old Testament, it was dead things that they offered. They offered the lamb. They offered the goat. They offered these things on the, the altar. They offered dead sacrifices. Well, guess who the living sacrifice is today? You. It's time for the church, for folk to understand. When the Bible says offer a living sacrifice, it's talking about you and your worship. And it, it's not just about what's in church. But it's about your lifestyle. How are you living? From, and and, and guess, guess what how you're living has to do with it, how it encompasses. It has nothing to do with when you wake up. It's every day, every second, every hour, every week, every month, every year. Guess what? Until you die. You get no break. If you're sitting at home dealing with your children, there should be a uh, act of worship dealing with your children. When you're on your job, there should be an act of worship on your job. When you're in conversation with your husband or wife, there should be an act of worship in that conversation. When you're out playing basketball, there should be an act of worship when you're playing basketball. Everything we do, I got to get the church to buy into our lifestyle, must move from our lips to our actions. It's something about a true worship 
is manifested in your actions, and it emanates from having a heart for God. So I'm going to back that thing up. I'm going to turn it in reverse. So having a heart for God, that's your source. That's what emanates means. That's your source. That's what producing things. It produces something that it shows up in your actions, and folks see it because it's all over you. It's all around you. It's like fire produces heat. If you light something up and you put your hands on it, you're going to get burned. Well, our lifestyle, having a heart for God. That's if you're taking notes. In order for your life to change and for your, you to have a style, a life that truly exemplifies, that displays worship, true worship in your life, you must first have a heart for God. And I'm going to talk about David. David had a heart for God. It wasn't that David did everything right, but he had his, his, his worship was he had a heart for God. Church, in all you're getting, in all you're doing, you've got to learn that you've got to have a heart for God. We have a heart for athletics. <laughs> I left out of my house this morning, and I told Lady Monique, I said, listen over there. The field. They got the soccer kids over there and they going in. I said, then we went on down the road a little bit and there was two guys in the back of the car. They were getting their weedies and ready for doing some work in a field. And I said, it is so sad that Sunday for folk don't mean nothing for a lot of people in the world. Sunday is just another day that I done added on to my stressful life. That I can go now and try to work some more. I can go now and try to get some more money. I can go now and, and, and try to make somebody else happy. I can go now and do more stuff that's causing me more stress in my life instead of going and taking this one day and truly coming into the house of God and allowing God to just de-stress me. Because when I leave, I'm going right back out there to that stuff. I'm going right back home to those bills that's sitting on some of our counters. I'm going right back home to some of us, to that man or woman that's at home that don't know how to act right. I'm going right back home to something that's broken, that's not working right. I'm going right back out the door to that job that every day I'm just like, oh, God, can you give me something different? I'm tired of dealing with these people. I'm tired of being used and abused. But we will actually spend more time, listen to this, we'll spend more time with that than we do with God. Amen. And we try to figure out why is our life the same? Because your lifestyle is not changing. Amen. Your lifestyle must change in order for things to manifest in your life. Amen. Fire produces heat. A heart for God produces lifestyle change. Yeah. But we're trying to Get our life to change, but we're doing the same thing, which they say that is insanity. I'm going to the same places. Listen to these people. I'm going to the same places. I got the same people in my circle. I'm waking up at the same time. I'm going to bed at the same time. I'm going to the same stores. I'm going to the same job. But ain't nothing changing. Guess why it's not changing? 
Amen. You're doing nothing. You're making not a bit of effort. In order for life to, to change, there must be something called effort. Effort must be in the equation, and I'm going to show you how. It can't just be effort, but it has to be somebody called Christ, Jesus Christ. Paul says this in the book of Philippians chapter 4 and 11 through 13. He said, and some of y'all, matter of fact, go there. Because some of y'all need to read a little bit of this. Philippians 4. Go there. Some of you all, you just, you need to actually read. Because outside of church, you're not going to read. Because your life is busy. Your lifestyle is busy. Your lifestyle is different. Your lifestyle encompasses taking care of the kids. Make sure they get to their sports events. Glory be to God! People going through all kinds of hell don't have a nothing. Stop the make believe. But they chasing a dream that ain't going to get them nowhere. Whatever the dream is. They running around the country, taking kids places, taking themselves places, involved in different things, and they're trying to figure out why life is just, eh, because ain't nothing in your life changing. You're busy trying to run with the world. Isn't it amazing? If, if more people would treat the church like getting their children in church and making sure they are really held down, they they really grounded. If more people would treat the children, the, the ministry, the faith, like they do with athletics, we'd have a tough world. We'd have a world that I promise you the devil will be just so angry and mad because he's like, you're getting these children at an early age. But you know what we'll do at an early age? We'll put them in every sport event that we can. Oh, they need to do that so they can be healthy. They need to do that because that's what they want to do. That's what they want to do because they're children. They don't have enough sense to know that they need to be in church. All they know is that I want to do something exciting. I don't want to come and listen to the pastor speak a word. I want to do something that makes me feel good. We got more feel-good people out here. And then we try to figure out why we're catching hell in our house when they get 10, 11, 12, and they look at me and say, I ain't going to church. And we crazy enough as parents to say, okay. I don't want to fight you today. I'm going on to church. I'll, I'll see you when I get back at home. They're like, all right. And y'all wonder why your houses is all backwards and messed up. Because you, truthfully, the word of God says, and Pastor Mike says, so if you want to get mad, it's cool. You've lost your authority in your own house. And the craziest part of it is just you're paying the bills. And somebody else is telling you what to do. So guess what that looks like? Let me show you what it looks like. <laughs> You're a waiter sitting at the head of your table. You ain't even in charge of your table or your house anymore. And your children know it. They're so smart. Children are so smart and slick. The ones that's crazy is the parents. <laughs> the kids ain't crazy, but y'all say, oh, you just crazy. Right? No, no, no. The kids are saying no because I'm working you. And you let me work you. 
So I want to do this this weekend. Mama, I don't want to go to church. I want to go to Bush Gardens. I want to stay home and watch my favorite show. I want to run around the country and do this and do that. I want, oh, Lord, we just got it. The devil is a lie. That's, that's one thing I am going to start praying. Lord, hold me accountable. I got to start praying harder about these children running their parents and these, these parents not bringing their children to church to teach them something. Because I'm going to tell you, when your child gets out there when you ain't around and your child don't have nothing to refer back to, your child don't have nothing inside that that child, when he's thinking about suicide, he can say, well, you know what? I remember sitting in church and the pastor said, God loved me. If don't nobody else love him. And we wonder why our children are, I mean, just going buck wild doing whatever. They putting all kinds of labels on themselves. Yeah. Labels, we heard a label this morning, I don't even know what it means. <laughs> but this person don't identify with nothing sexuality, sexually. They just like, I, I just, I do, I just do whatever. <laughs> Y'all better pay attention. Amen. The world is not getting any better. That's right. So if the world's not getting any better, you need to really check yourself and say, what are we doing? I told y'all last Sunday something about the salt of the earth. The Bible says that once you lose your salt, you ain't good for nothing. Church people, once you lose your salt, according to the word of God, you ain't good for nothing. It says you throw that salt out and trample on it because it ain't good for nothing. It says that when the salt back in the Dead Sea was thrown out to the side, the outer layer would be, because it went bad, would be thrown on the ground, so it would kill all the vegetation around it. Once you lose your salt, folk don't see you as nothing. Folk don't see nothing good in your life. Because this is what they do about you. They say, I remember when you was talking about Jesus, you ain't no better than than, than Peter when he was saying denying Christ, glory be to God. When it was like you was with the Messiah, no, I wasn't. <laughs> well, that's how it is with some of us. When we turn and we're just really not serving God, we don't have a lifestyle of worship. People look at you and say, "Aren't you?" And you don't have to open up this, but what you're saying in your actions. Listen to what I say. True worship manifests itself in your actions and eliminates. From having a heart for God. So you got to have a heart for God. And Paul said it here in Philippians. He said, and y'all can read it because I'm, I'm on a kind of little roll here that I really don't need to read because I've already read it. But y'all can read it. He says in that Philippians 4 that I got to tell y'all people something. You need to know. Listen to this. There's some of folks that, and I, I thought about the young people. I really thought about the young people in this passage here this weekend. You see, when the guys were doing whatever, I was in my Bible. After the golf, I was, while we were riding, I was, when we would move, I was, and I was like, God, this is a lifestyle of worship. Not that I had to do it, but it was in me that I just wanted to do it. See, some things you all got to want to do in order for your life to change. I want to know God better. I want to learn more about God. And he said, son, because you want it, I'm going to give it to you. Some of you can't get it because you don't really want it. See, some of y'all got to stop the lip service. See, we, we have this thing out there. We say, don't talk about it, but be about it. 
Some of y'all, all you do is talk about it. I won't change. I want my job to change. I want my children to change. And you ain't doing nothing about it. All you keep doing is lip service. And the enemy is sitting back going, oh, all you want to do is talk about it, but you ain't going to be about it. You good at talking about it. You should have a degree, a doctor degree, in just talking about it. <laughs> but you get an F because you never be about it. So you will talk about it all day long and have everybody around you thinking, oh, he's or she's going to be a millionaire. Oh, they're going to do this and do that. But then your actions, true lifestyle, manifest itself in your actions, in your daily actions, in your daily conversation, in what you do for people, how you treat people. It manifests itself because it emanates from having a heart for God. You have a heart for God, it's going to produce. That fruit is going to be good and right. It produces. But Paul says, he said, y'all need to know this. I've learned, and he said, in the first part of that, listen to what it says. It says, I'm not coming to you all because I'm in need. This is what Paul is saying. Listen to this. Please, everybody in here today, you can't afford to miss this. He said, I'm not coming to you because I'm in need. I'm not coming to you because I lack or I have plenty. He said, I know. I've examined the evidence, and I know what it means to have a lot. Because I've had the church taking care of me at times. Paul would send out letters. The church was taking care of me. And then he said, I know what it means not to have anything. When I was locked up in jail and I was beaten nearly right to death. I know what it means on both sides of the track. But he said, here's the secret ingredient. He said, I can do all things. It's through Christ that gives me the strength. It's through Christ that my lifestyle will change. That's the secret ingredient. It's through Christ that my mind will change. It's through Christ. He said, I've learned to be content. Understand this one here. I get it because I look at the young people especially a lot. And I try to figure out why they are not content with Seemed like much of nothing. And it was impressed upon me once again this weekend. I, I just was empowered. My mind and how God was just saturating me with the word and understanding and revelation. And he was saying, all right, Mike, here's the problem. The more successful that we become, the more we have, and somebody going to agree with this, especially as a parent, the more we have, we get content. And when we get content, we get lazy. And we try to figure out, like, man, I, I don't want my child to struggle and go through like we did. I want to give them as much as I can. And we're crushing them because we give and give and give. And it's not their fault, it's ours. Because they're getting content with stuff only to make them lazy. Because they're saying, what do I got to reach for? I got it. What do I have to grind for? I got it. So you see, being content, I, I saw it in two different ways this weekend. Paul said, I've learned to be content in what's what the state that I'm in. It's a state of being that we are in, and you got to understand what contentment means. It means peaceful happiness. Peaceful happiness is what contentment means. Peaceful happiness. I'm happy, and I'm at peace. Whether I'm in jail, 
whether I'm in the White House, whether I'm in the projects, whether I got a hundred dollars in the bank, whether I got a thousand dollars in the bank, I've learned that I'm peaceful and I'm happy. So that's why the Bible talks about riches. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? Yeah. The Bible talks about riches in there that where your food, where your treasure is, is that's where your heart will be. Because you won't have peace and happiness if your heart is stuck in stuff. You don't have a heart for God, you have a heart for stuff. You have a heart for making people. See, it ain't just about money. You have a heart to try to make everybody around you be happy. So you're the one that's miserable, but everybody else around you getting all your money, getting all your time, Getting all your love, getting everything, and you ain't getting nothing back in return. And the, the world system don't even work like that. If you put money in the bank, they say, okay, even if it's 1%, we'll give you a little something. We'll give you a little something. But you giving everything out, and you, you need to stop and start looking and saying, what am I getting back? It ain't okay for you to treat me. Wrong and treat me like, well, you give to me, but I didn't give you nothing. See, reciprocation means I do, and then you do. I tell a lady about me, I love you. She tells me at some point, I love you. See, we do that. See, she needs to hear me tell her often more than I do that I love her and I appreciate her because that's just that delicate part. And, and, and you can't get caught up in thinking, men, that I don't need to say nothing. I pay the bills. Oh, and. Why don't I keep the car up? And it goes both ways, ladies and men. I'm talking to all, everybody. If you're listening to me today or you caught up in yourself, self-indulging people never will change. Self-indulging people, you will have the same lifestyle and you're trying to figure out, man, seems like this one in a circle. Nothing changes. I'm doing the same thing, changing. Well, it's your fault. Your marriage can't change unless you put effort into it. You want to get something back from somebody, start giving them something. Stop always looking at that person thinking, well, you got to do for me. Paul said, I learned in whatsoever state I'm in to be content. So we got to be careful, people. When you try to give your children certain things, I'm telling you right now, the more we do for them, the worse they are. And it's not their fault. But I blamed children for a long time. Pastor Mike gave All that I do, I can't believe it. All I struggle, all blah, 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 blah. And it's not their fault. It's hard for them to accept and recognize in technology. In this day and age of technology, it's hard for them to see, oh, you might have walked to school two miles back 20, 30, 40 years ago, and they got the bus pulled right up to their house. It's hard for them to see what you went through when they got it like this. But you want them to step out of their good times and they can relate to your bad times. They can't. They never will be. They will never relate to what you did 40, 50 years ago. Yeah, I can remember when. I know that's then. But they don't have that right now. They got the good good. But guess what's going to happen to them? Let them live and get to our age. They, they gonna, it, it repeats itself. They'll be telling their children the same thing. Well, when I had to do such and that, kids would be like, what? Really? That don't mean nothing to me. So, understand, success breeds contentment, the worldly side, and that contentment breeds 
1737. Submissive spirit. 1 Samuel 24.15. Raw passion. 2 Samuel. Samuel, chapter 12, 13, verse 4. And add to that one, Psalm 51. We'll give you a minute, and we're going to start talking about confidence. Somebody out at the brink of, oh, they looked at you wrong. 
right down the street and somebody cuts you off and you throw the middle finger up. But that ain't a new generation. New generation don't cuss people out, throw middle fingers up while they out driving. We bless folk. But David here was saying, surely God delivered me from all that danger, from all that stuff. And I'm sure today you can think, what has God delivered you from? What type of debilitating disease? What type of stuff in your house? What has God delivered you from? If he delivered you yesterday, he'll deliver you today. If he delivered you last week, he'll deliver you today. If he delivered you a year ago, he'll deliver you today. God don't have a time period. There's not an expiration. Well, if you don't get this blessing by then, you're not going to get it. <laughs> That's man. God don't put an expiration on your blessing. Submissive spirit. There were a couple of times at least where David could have killed Saul when Saul was after him in the desert. It says Saul went into a cave and he just took a moment just to chill and didn't even realize that David was in the cave. And David, men wanted him to kill Saul. But David said, no, I won't kill him. Because surely God will vindicate him. Can you today say, no matter what you're going through, I can submit to the will of God in spite of what I want. And I'll know. See, something about when you say K-N-O-W, you've examined the evidence, and it leads back to confidence in God. I know that he got my back. So instead of David taking matters in his own hands, he just decided, huh. I'm going to let this one slide because God will take care of this for me. Can you today say God's going to take care of it for you? Can you say God's going to take care of it for you? Because I'm going to tell you, as easy as it is to say yes and amen, it's hard sometimes when you sit and, and you're trying to figure it out because you're trying to sit here and say, well, God gave me a brain. He wants me to figure this out. Yeah, God do want you to, but you've got to make sure your heart is for God and your lifestyle is truly worshiped. I'm worshiping you when I'm sitting here looking at this light bill because, God, I'm believing that you are more than enough. I'm believing that you said that great is he that's inside of me, that he is in the world. I don't care what the world is doing, how they're prospering. I don't care what the world it looks like. Oh, they're just successful. Remember what I said. Success breeds contentment. Contentment breeds laziness. I had to look at my own life. Because there's times when I even look at my business and I'm saying I'm content. And it'll breed laziness where you're like, you're not as hungry. I used to be hungry. I can remember the days I was out there pushing everything about MJ. Oh, glory be to God. I want some of y'all to realize this. Now when some people see me, a lot of people, they don't see me as Pastor Mike. They don't know me as Pastor Mike. They know me as MJ. On remodel. That's my lifestyle for quite some number of years. I pushed what I believed, what I loved. So are you pushing God today? If you want a lifestyle, it has to be, you have to be saturated. Everything that you do, you pumping gas. You got a lifestyle of worship like you pump gas. 
I ain't saying run around you crazy people. Don't y'all let me find out y'all out here in the street. Y'all out here hitting with signs and, and doing everything else that out here. People like, I don't understand, but they acting crazy. See, they have, I'm trying to tell you, move it from your lips mm, to your actions. I'm pumping gas when somebody pulls up, and maybe I say, bless you. Or maybe I even pay for that gas. I'm moving it from my lips to my actions. A lifestyle of worship, it, I, I got to get you in the mindset here. It's a state of being. It's not about coming in here and running around the church and throwing your hands up. That's part of it. But more of it is what you do out there with your children, with your family, with your friends, with the people that you hang out with, people that you chill with. Is it a lifestyle of worship? Because we do whatever we want and however we want. We go wherever we want. I travel around the world playing golf to chase that little white ball. And I pay for that punishment. I pay for that. And it is stressful at times. Especially if you're competitive. But that's what I love to do. So I do it. Whatever the flight costs. Whatever the time I have to do this and do that. I do it. What are you doing today that you love? Think about whatever it is you love. And if you put it above your worship for God, you're wrong. That's why I tell folks, I don't care. I had a flight that was supposed to be back this morning, but it was like too close to me being in church. At 10 o'clock, I think it was supposed to come in. And I'm like, oh, no. I will miss whatever I got to miss yesterday as far as the golf. But I'm getting on a plane, and I'm getting back to Toronto last night. It's not just in my mouth. Oh, I want to be there. Oh, glory be to God. I want to be there, Pastor. But this and that is going on. Lifestyle of worship. You put God first. You have a heart for God. When you miss church, when you don't, when certain things happen, you just know something is not right. You don't need nobody to tell you. You feel it because it's inside of you. You feel it because it's all over you. You feel it because you're saturated by, I want to just have a heart for God. You see, David, the reason why the Bible says that it, it wasn't he had a heart for God because of, of just anything other than just he made mistakes. He did wrong. I'm getting ready to go to that one. But he could recognize when he was wrong, and he got it right. Having a heart for God has nothing to do with you doing everything right. When God come back, and listen to what he said he's coming back for, a body of believers. He's coming back for what's in your heart. Don't matter what you're wearing. Don't matter what color your hair is. Don't matter what kind of nails you have on. He's coming back for the true part of you, that true essence that can't lie. Either you love God or you don't. Either you worship God or you don't. And it has, I'm telling you, your actions show, guess who? Us and God. But we see your actions here on earth. Because you say, man, you say you, but here's the thing. You can call in church, but you're going to be at work tomorrow. With a sore throat. With a messed up knee. With uh, your tummy, your tummy not feeling good. <laughs> we don't give more respect to the boss than we will to God. But we want 
want God to take care of our homes. We want God to keep just getting, oh, I'm just praying to God to do this and do that in my life. But you really got to question yourself. And I'm, it's not for Pastor Mike to tell you today that you don't have a heart for God. It's up to you. I'm saying, I'm looking at your actions. And that's what I'm starting to do, especially in this ministry. I'm looking at your actions. I don't want to hear what comes out of your mouth. I want to see what you're doing. The proof is in the pudding. And when you've tasted the pudding, you know what's in the pudding. You can have pudding in front of you all day and look at it and be like, well, it looks good. And that's what some of us, we look good. But when somebody dies and sees you, you don't taste too good. The proof's in the pudding. People, it's time for your actions to show it. Stop running your mouth. It's like a husband telling his wife, baby, yeah, I'm going to do this and do that for you, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to do this one day. I'm going to buy you this and that. Baby, I'm going to do this and do that. And you never, ever, ever, all you do is lip, lip service. I call it chin music. A lot of chin music. I don't care about chin music. Stop that chin movement. Just stop. I want to see some action. Just chin music. Just yeah, 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 yeah. Third one, courageous faith. Woo! The Bible says faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to break it down and make it a little bit simpler. You should be sure in what you hope for and certain in what you do not see. You should be sure in what you hope for and certain in what you do not see. I want to be sure about what I hope for, but I want to be certain, listen to this, about what I do not see, not about what I see. I want to be certain about what I do not see because guess what? I have a heart for God. And the pastor told me if I have a heart for God, that's where my source is, everything's coming from. In my actions, it must show that I don't see it, but I know God's going to do it. It must show in my actions. I don't see it, but I, I'm sure about my hope. I'm sure about it. And I'm certain about what I don't see because what I see, my eyes are lying to me. And this is how it was with David. David had messed around and he had committed adultery with Bathsheba. And he has her husband killed. And because of that, he ends up taking Bathsheba as his wife. So now, she's pregnant, has a baby, and God said, because of what you did, I'm going to take the life of your child. Listen, folks. Because of your sin, I'm going to take the life of your child. And the servants were afraid to say anything to David. They were walking around and tiptoeing. You know how sometimes people just tiptoe around you? And it's like, man, we don't want to say nothing because we're going to catch hell. We don't want to say nothing because, man, he might kill us. So David saw them just talking one day, and he and all this time, he's been fasting, he's been weeping, he's been on his face before God because he was hoping he could pray this off of him. He was like, why my child? I, this is my call. And when the child dies, they come, he looks at him and he says, my child is dead. David's like, yes. They didn't even understand David. It was like, now, you were on your face weeping when he was on his deathbed, but when he dies, he says he washes his face, he, his face, he changes his clothes, he gets up, and he can go to worship God. He worships God, even though his baby is dead. He 
see my son one day in heaven. That's where he was grounded. I'm going to see my son, even though this happened, and I didn't plan on it to happen. Sometimes we don't plan on things to happen in our life, but they just happen. And you can't look back and say, well, I'm blaming God. Why did God let this happen? A lot of people do this. Why did God let the children be killed? Why did God let this, why, 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 why? It ain't, God, stop blaming it on God. Some of it is really us. And some of it is things just have to happen because the earth was flooded with wickedness when Satan tricked Adam and Eve and evil flooded the earth. Evil wasn't like that on the earth until they sinned when they became disobedient. So, that's three out of the way. Let's go to the next one, raw passion for God. That's 2 Samuel chapter 6, anybody want to read it, but I'm getting ready to paraphrase it. Glory be to God. Listen to what I said, raw passion for God. I don't want it edited. I don't want you to clean it up. I don't want you to do nothing other than I'm going in and I'm getting radical for God. Let me tell you what happens. So the Ark of the Covenant has been in captivity for years. And now the Ark of the Covenant is coming to Jerusalem and David is so happy. Have you ever heard that David danced out of his clothes? This is when David dances out of his clothes here. He's so happy that the ark is coming back. And I mean, he's just excited. He's elated. He's just like, God is good. It says David prepared food. He gave food to everybody. It said thousands were there. But he was so excited and so happy that it says he jumped out of his clothes. And then he had something called an ephod that went over his clothes. And that says that that's about the only thing he had on. They would put this on when you were doing religious things like that. It just kind of hung over and came back here. And it says, that's all he had. So guess what happens here, people? He dances out of his clothes, and his wife, Mikael, was her name. She sees David, and she goes to him, and she says, oh, y'all got to read this, because I want some of y'all to see. Y'all too dignified. <laughs> yeah, y'all got to read this. Go to 2 Samuel. Oh, some of y'all too dignified. I don't want y'all to think Pastor Mike is telling y'all. I want y'all to see it. 2 Samuel chapter 6, 21, 22. Some of y'all too dignified. Some of y'all pompous. Some of y'all think that it's all about what you have on. Hmm, hmm, hmm. Glory be to God. And I want you to go to the 20th verse. Some of you too dignified. Trying to figure out why nothing your lifestyle ain't changing because you're too dignified. You don't mind going to a ball game and running half naked through the stadium. I mean, they streak, they'll jump out there and take off, and man, the security will tackle them and everything. You don't mind people run and do some of the crazy stuff. Some people dress, got on, got on shorts up here and, and, and all kinds of stuff, and we don't mind that, but when it comes to God, you know, we dignify. Listen to this. And I'll tell you what's beautiful about this. And I want you to get it, so I'm going to give you a little bit and then we're going to read it. But his wife didn't like how he celebrated for God, his raw passion for God. <coughs> and she was actually chastising him in this passage. She was upset that he was showing himself he was undignified before his service. Let's read it. <laughs> 
In the 21st, then David returned to bless his household. And Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids of his servants. And one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. So David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your dad and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord of Israel. Therefore, I will play music before the Lord, and I will even be even more undignified than this. And I will be humble in my own sight. But as for the maidservants of who you have spoken by them, I will be held in honor. Therefore, Michal, the daughter of Saul, had no children to the day of her death. You better be careful what you say about God's people. She had no children until the day of her death. You can't believe you're acting undignified. It's just an art. I can't believe that you're running around here dancing for God and praising God. It's just the ark of the covenant. I'll tell you how serious the ark of the covenant was. You read a little bit further back in that covenant. They were bringing the ark up to David and the oxen stumbled. And the man reached out to grab it because he didn't want it to fall. God killed him. Because he said, I gave you specific instructions. You don't touch it. So think about it. I mean, personally, and, and it says when you read it, David was angry with God because he thought he's doing a good thing. It says David was angry with God. You see how we can get angry? Something happened to our child. Something happened to our loved one. We, you get angry. But David had to bring himself back together. The Bible says, get angry, but sin not. That's a prime example. Get, okay, you will get angry, but don't sin. But it says that he reached out and God struck him dead. Woo! Man, that's power back. People, true worship. True worship. You gotta be all dignified sometimes. True worship. You can't be all. Sometimes true worship, it requires you to unloosen your tie. True worship, sometimes it requires you to take your jacket out. True worship, sometimes it requires you to, I don't have but $10, but you are in need, I'm gonna give you five of it. True worship, it, it's so many areas of your life is just not about what's in your mouth. It's about what's in your actions. I push you today. I provoke you today. Our actions must change. Amen. Amen. And it's until you die. It's not for an hour. It's not just on Sunday. It's not just on Wednesday. It's not just on Monday. It's not just on Tuesday. But our actions must change. And it emanates from having a heart for God. So I'm starting to look at people differently. Your actions will tell me whether you have a heart for God. Your actions will tell me whether you need to be ordained. Amen. Your actions will tell me if you need to serve in certain areas in the ministry. Amen. It's not what's in your mouth. <laughs> the last one, and I'm going to bring it in, contrite spirit, contrite heart, either way you put it. And that's 2 Samuel 12. Let's go there. Matter of fact, while we're there, 12. And then I'm going to flip you over to Psalm 51. Mm -hmm. 
So David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Listen to what he's saying. He's confessing. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Psalms 51. This is where we bring it in. This is the best day of my life. This is the best day of my life. This is truly the best day of my life. This is the best life. I'm blessed. Life can't conquer me. 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 I'm blessed. Sometimes you gotta tell yourself that. Because your situation, if you're looking at it, oh man, I'm in a mess. But you gotta tell yourself. Then somebody gonna say, "What you say?" Now, no, 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 no. Now it's time to identify, to define what you're saying. Don't just say it again. Uh, no matter what I deal with, God got me. So you just opened up a conversation, a door for somebody. What you talking about? I can't talk to me away. God got me. I'm sure in my hope, but I'm certain in what I don't see. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure in my hope. And I'm certain what I don't see, baby. I'm sure in what I hope for. We can be sure about hoping for somebody giving us money. Oh, I hope they pay me back. Oh, I know. I hope they pay me back. I hope they pay me back. The whole time they ain't thinking about paying me back. And I'm certain that what you don't see, you ain't going to see. So I'm sure that he's going to pay me back. And I'm certain that I don't see the money, and I ain't gonna get the money. <laughs> but it don't work that way with God. I'm sure in what I hope for, and I'm certain in what I don't see. I'm certain in my salvation. I'm certain about going to heaven. I'm certain about I'm blessed that life can't conquer me. I'm certain about some things that man tell me what's impossible for man is possible for God. Amen. Let me get back. See, y'all got me started. Contrite heart. Psalm 51. David says, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Create in me a pure heart and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You see, David was revealing the depths of his sorrow and condition. Contrite means to have a repentance, a repenting heart. That's what contrite means. Contrite means to be in a repentant state. It's a state of being. When you do wrong, you need to show some remorse. When you go to court, if you do something crazy, they want to see do you have any remorse. If you show no remorse, they're like, oh, we're going to give you more time. Oh, we're not going to be lenient on you because you are not showing any remorse. You're not showing anything about that you are repenting about your situation. What David was saying, God, have mercy on me. I've messed up. He was saying, look at me, God. He said, clean me up. 
Renew a right spirit in me. How many of you can sit here and say today that wouldn't have you said that to God? Clean me up, God. I need everybody to stay right here. Don't let the devil steal your blessings out there. Stay right here. And some of y'all still not listening to me. Everybody's eyes on me right here. Everybody's eyes on me. This is why some of your lives are in a situation because you pay more attention to what's out there instead of what needs to be inside of here. Don't allow the enemy to distract you when you try to get blessed. You try to be fed. Some of y'all see how I get blessed. Toasty about that thing. Can't stand the devil to come up just, just that quick and easy and distract folk. Wonder why your lifestyle's not changing. You're easily distracted. And you don't even realize it's a distraction. You think you're doing a job. Like the dude reaching out and grabbing the Ark of the Covenant because of the oxen stumbled. He'd have been better off, let it go. But because his mind said, oh no, God killed him. Some of you all are distracted that quick, and you got good reason. You got good reason to be distracted. But it's your job to bring yourself back quickly, quickly, quickly. Because the more you stay in it, let me tell you what happens when you stay in stink. You get to the place where you don't even realize it's stink. The more you stay in a bad situation, your dysfunction becomes your normal. You don't even realize you're in a bad situation. You don't even realize you're in some mess. It's like going to the restroom and doing your number two. You're the last person to realize you really stink. But if somebody you love walks in or walks by the door, they're like, oh, Lord, and you don't get it. Listen, you really, y'all don't tell the truth. I'm just real. You don't get it till you get up and walk back by the door. Oh, Lord. I was sitting in there. <laughs> I'm just real with y'all, man. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> y'all ain't gonna get another pastor like this. <laughs> just real. Don't need to be phony. Tell it like it is. So you gotta be careful about being in situations. And you don't have nobody around you. You need somebody to come to that door and be like, you all right? Yeah. <laughs> you okay? It's a little rough out here. You all right? You need somebody to check off you in your life. Because you won't always know you're in it. The enemy is deceiving. He's crafty. He's cunning. That's why the Bible says you got to be wise as a serpent harmless as a dove. Because the serpent is so wise, he tricked the first Adam. And I'm going to give y'all some stuff here coming up. The one thing you'll see in the Bible is pairs. The first Adam, the last Adam, Jesus. You'll see pairs all through the Bible. Cain and Abel. Pairs all through the Bible. It's something about pairs. God was trying to give us an idea, a, a, a glimpse of, in your life, it's going to be good and bad. Pairs. All through the Bible. Christ, Antichrist. 
Make sure your lifestyle, true worship, is a lifestyle. It must come off of your lips and to your actions. And it emanates from having a heart for God. It comes from having a heart for God. If you want your life to change, make sure that your heart is truly for God. I gave you five different ways, areas in your life, different elements, things that you need to check up on. You need to have a raw passion for God. You need to have character for God. Your faith needs to be courageous. You need to have a contrite spirit where you can repent, where you can lay before the Lord. You need to have confidence in God that he got me no matter what. I've got confidence because God is. 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 I've got confidence. And you've got to have a submissive spirit. Stop thinking that, oh, about me, oh, I know. Submission. Submit to God, not the people, to God. He says, in order to resist the devil, you got to submit to him. He says, submit to God, submit to me, and then resist the enemy, resist the devil. And he, and he will do what? He will flee. He will flee because you submitted to God, not because you resist him. You can resist him all day long, and he's sitting there going, well, you resisted me, but I'm going to take a break, and guess what? I ain't going nowhere. Some people say, man, it seems like I wake up and the devil's still right there. Oh, uh, yeah. He's taking lunch on you. He done got a lunch basket of ribs and all kinds of stuff. That he's chilling. You got a bottle of wine. Chilling. Like, oh, you got to come back. Don't worry. No, I got you. Because you didn't submit to God. You just resisted him. It's a formula. Submit to God and resist the devil. See, it ain't about just submitting to God. You can submit to God, but if you don't resist him, you're going to be back to that every, every time. It's a formula. Submit to God and resist him. If you want to see your lifestyle change. If you want your life to change. All I can do is give it to you. Do you want your life to be changed in church? For God hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and a sound mind. He hasn't given me the spirit of fear, but of power. Love and a sound mind. One more time. He haven't given me. I need somebody to string this thing. Because yes. see, David had a raw passion. Yes. I, I'm preaching it to you, but y'all got to receive it. A raw passion ain't don't care about camera. A raw passion don't care about somebody sitting beside him. A raw passion don't care about you. your own wife calling you crazy. Amen. David didn't care what his wife said. He was undignified and he said, I'm good with being undignified. Second Timothy 1 7. God have not given me the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Hello, this is Pastor Mike. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope and pray that the Word of God truly enriches your life. In Jesus' name, amen.